This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in. We're here in August. Preseason rolling along. Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Borgannoni. And here, as always, it's Matthew. I'm still playing underdog day and night bets. It never ends, man. I mean, it's like a, a part-time job trying to max out of these puppies and the Pomeranian and Vesselmania. I mean, there's just so many. And uh, hey, the big dog, we're back, baby. So you're telling me for your job, your company lets you just fart around on an app and waste money you won't see for another six months. That's largely accurate. Yes. And um, any losses are business, business expenses. So um, this is a win-win for everyone. I... I not worried about you because I feel like you're you, you you're good at this. That's why you're doing it. That's why you're giving people advice. But I do I do fear how many tournaments you're in at this point that you're not going to care about the one that matters most, which is our big dog team. Dude, so listeners, for people that aren't aware, you know, we're in the big, big dog together, Kyle and I. Um I check probably four times a day to see if we're on the clock and it's a slow draft, so you know, these slow drafts take forever. And you know, I'm there. It's I log in for the day. My work tasks are, are set up, and every now and then I just sprinkle in check big dog, check the big dog team, check the big dog team. And I'm actually really excited about our start, Kyle. Which uh, last year we did could not say the same thing. It was kind of a rough start. Ended up pretty well for us, but I'm pretty excited about our, our first three picks. Let me just say, last year, get this out of the way. I threw it on my weight as the elder statesman, saying I did not like our start last year, uh, and yet our team somehow made it all the way through. I love our start this year. You have an article you put out on the site that's going to kind of walk people through that. We had a lot of Discord people that said, hey, I want to see what the big dog team's looking like. But we started to pick from the 102, and we started Christian McCaffrey. And on the way back, we had a big conversation, and it came down to we wanted to have the upside, and you and I just wanted to flex our testosterone levels. So we went with Javante Williams and then Pity City, and so we only have three on the clock, but any quick thoughts before we move on? I thought the timing was just funny. You know, we, we made that selection the morning of when Melvin Gordon was talking at camp about they want uh, Javante to be the guy. And it's just so fun when you get to pick and choose which camp reports, quote unquote, that you like to believe. And uh, it was fun to believe that one after we took Javante. So, um, yeah. And the reason for it, just kind of from a best ball you know, theory standpoint, is like in this stuff, especially the tournaments, like, we don't care if we get last. Like we are shooting for the moon. We want the home run pick. So if Javante hits, I mean, we're we're swinging for the fences there. And maybe in like a normal redraft league, we probably wouldn't take him quite that early. But um, yeah, I like our start, and I guess we're getting ready to hammer wide receiver next. Let me just quickly gush about Javante Williams because I've entered into the mental state that he might be the most important player, other than Grish McCaffrey, of course, uh, to my best ball life. And I just. I'm willing to, and I made this statement a couple of weeks ago to you, that where he was going, I wanted our listeners to get him ahead of ADP, but I really think that he could end up being a top five back, even if Melvin Gordon is still there the whole time, there's no injuries. I just think he's that big of a talent. You love him, you know, age 22 seasons. Those kind of players end up being top five running backs, especially if you do what he did his first year. So I'll gush about Javante more and more. We have him coming up on a couple of main shows we did our My Guys today. It was a big episode on Fantasy Footballers. So we've got a lot of fun stuff leading into the season, but we kind of have an announcement. Am I right? Like we have... Ooh, big announcement. 
We have some stuff uh, that's been cooking, you know, in the think tank, in the labs. You know, we've just had thousands and thousands of people just thinking on this day and night, night and day, nonstop. Uh, But, you know, we'll cut to the chase. This year and then going to next year, you and I are going to get to do more and more props conversations and props content, including a segment we're just going to say that, hey, this is something we're going to do on the DFS podcast during the season. I think the people want it. I also think that we have some metrics and some uh, things that have made us really successful. Those of you that uh, rode with us during the Super Bowl, we had a number of different ones, including Evan McPherson over one and a half field goals, our biggest wager. So uh, any quick things, and then I'll lead into a quick question of some props for week one that we like, but um, just kind of tease for the people like where you're coming from with props and kind of maybe what's a little bit in store. Yeah, man, I'm excited about this. You know, the props is uh, kind of an area that we've been talking about getting involved in for a while. We did that kind of throughout the playoffs last year, and it was wildly successful. So we were like, all right, let's keep it rolling. Um, And the rationale is, you know, as DFS players, you know, listeners and us, like we have our our head in this so much every single day. Like we're probably ahead of the books on this market because we understand player usage, trends, coaching changes, that sort of thing honestly, probably better than some of the books do. And so, you know, I don't waste my time with the lines and totals. It's just so hard to beat. Player props is a beatable market. We think we can be successful in it. And because Adamek and Jason have freaking awesome projections every year, we're going to help use their projections and translate it into player prop conversations on the show in the DFS pass. It is officially going to be an article in the DFS pass from us this year. Um, I, I love our team, man. We always just sort of like, you know, what, let's just add one more thing. You don't have to pay more for it, but we're just going to add it in. So you'll get that this year. And I'm excited to uh, to dig the, a little deeper into it. Hopefully get people some more money. Yeah, with, with those player props, that's something Bet's going to be putting out uh, during the week. And then we'll get to talk about it probably on our Thursday show because we need to wait for some lines to move. Yeah, I'm excited for the future of where this is. And I think I'll just speak on behalf of our entire company. Um, you know, our shows have been redraft focused this is dfs focused and we think that we do a pretty good job of giving people a holistic view this is just another way to view any league that you're a part of um so when you even think about your redraft league like player props really do go into it in terms of median outcomes and and what we can do and what markets so we've been doing that for a while we've been doing it for nfl draft those have been fun for those of you that got to ride with us and we'll get to do the same so for week one Let's talk about a couple of props that we already like, and I think you'll see these lines move because no big deal. That's what happens sometimes. My first one I want to bring up, my boy George Kittle. It's probably sad for people to hear this, but George Kittle's line, uh, I've seen in a couple places, including one I just did on prize picks, uh, 60 and a half receiving yards against Chicago. I took the under, and it pains me to say that because George Kittle is one of those players that I think everybody knows he can go for over 100, he could break a long play. But get this, last year, in games where he had five receptions or fewer, so five receptions is a lot, he actually did that four times, he averaged only 32 yards per game in those games. So it's one of those things where George Kittle, you know, 75% of the time last year actually hit under this mark. So you can take those numbers, you can also take the unknown with Trey Lance, and also the fact that Debo and Ayuk are involved. So the way that San Francisco does things, they game plan. There are Kittle games. And for me, I'm saying that week one is not going to be one of those games. It's against Chicago. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think it's probably going to be pretty ugly. Uh, so I'll take George Kittle in the under. And you actually have someone on the other side of that game you like. Yes. And I real quick just want to point out, too, like when we're talking about this stuff, especially for George Kittle, he's a guy we love in DFS because, you know, he gives us that, like, 20-yard game. It's like, ah, like, it didn't work this week. But when he gives us the 120 and 2... Like we're chasing those top end outcomes in DFS. It's an all or none sort of thing if you're playing tournaments. Whereas in props conversation, it's all about median expectations. So I love the under there. Does not mean he's a bad DFS play in week one. Just pointing that out there. But as far as the same game, I'm going under on David Montgomery's 16 and a half rushing yards against San Francisco. Look, the reality is this is probably going to be more, more of a split backfield than we've seen with Chicago based off the camp reports with Khalil Herbert looking pretty good. And when you look at last year when he was the dude, he was still only averaging 63.5 yards per game. So this line is right there. It's not accounting for that split backfield. And oh, by the way, Chicago is a seven-point underdog in week one to San Fran. And he's going to be running behind PFF's 31st-ranked offensive line this year. So there are plenty of outs for this to go under. And historically, like 
he's not really a guy that that buries you with huge games. He went under 72 yards in 10 of 13 games last year. So he's almost always kind of right around this mark. Easy under on a running back rushing yard total. I'll give you a quick over I like. It's your boy, Jared Garf. Uh, week one, plays against your Eagles, but it's at home. And I just think that they're going to have to be pushed. Jared Goff at home last year averaged 237 yards per game and over 25 completions. I don't think the book's accounting for the fact that this game can totally hit the over. We saw last year, week one, Lions and 49ers. It was supposed to be like, oh, they're going to kill them. It was a barn burner, and the 49ers won 41-33. Goff had a bunch of garbage time points, garbage time yards, so I will take the over here. Yeah, I actually kind of like the way that Goff's game sets up well against the Eagles from a football guy standpoint because they're so strong on the perimeter. In the middle of the field, like Jared Goff can find Amonara St. Brown over and over and over again in this sort of game environment. So I'm kind of excited about my boy Amonara on week one against my Eagles. But as far as the prop that I like, I'll, I'll give another over to follow your trend. Let's go Steph Diggs over 67 and a half. Week one, they are taking on the Rams. And you might think, okay, bets, it's scary. It's Jalen Ramsey. But let's remember, Stefan Diggs moves all over the formation. Jalen Ramsey doesn't shadow as much as people think. And over the last two years, he's averaging almost 84 yards per game. So this line is quite low for what he's done with Josh Allen. And this game total is 52 and a half with two offenses that love to throw. You could easily see a back and forth type of situation, you know, this year. And we all love Gabe Davis, but there's a lot of projection happening there. We know Steph Diggs is going to get targets. And in his career with Josh Allen over the last two years, when he has eight plus targets, that's 26 games. He averages almost 92 yards a game. So this line is too low. Let's go over for Steph Diggs. You will get more content like this in the DFS Pass, which is part of the UDK+. And if you're hearing this, this podcast is coming out on Friday. We are giving doing a giveaway of the UDK Plus for life. Uh, the for guys life? Gonna, for life. Dude, that's so, awesome. I know. I've actually, and we haven't run all of the numbers, but not only will you get this for life, but it'll actually prolong your life getting this product. Like it actually decreases stress, um, probably increases your chances to win your league. We know that. And therefore, ergo, you actually get to live a longer life. So uh, extend your life, get this for life, UDK Plus. Uh, if you want to get that, go to ultimatedraftkit.com. Bets and I are always adding new, more and more things for best ball. And then DFS is right around the corner. I wanted to, I found one listener from last year that I wanted to read what they said because you and I are in the process of tweaking, like how do we make sure that our listeners are front and center too? Like, it's really easy for us to say, look at what we did. These people won money or we won money. Um, but really, like, we think this is a holistic way to approach DFS, to think about it at a number of different angles. And so those of you that listen out there, you're like, I've never really won money or I, I have a really small budget. I can't really play. Like, those are some of my favorite testimonies of people. So here's one. A DM last year, someone got third in a FanDuel tournament, won $750. They said, I started listening to you guys this summer and I had my biggest win ever. Can't thank you guys enough for the strategy shows over the summer. I love the DFS content. You guys keep up the great work. Those These summer shows, you know, we're putting in these hours, these, these tough hours. You are changing diapers in the, in the heat of the summer for for one day in the fall, right, for for a listener to hit it big. Like I, I was going back and, hey, there's a listener who won $150,000, and they said, I just listened to the show. I got the DFS pass. So that's what we're playing for, right? Oh, absolutely, man. We're here for the people. Yeah, actually, this is a true story. Um, I was in some of the data we're going to talk about on the show today on Fantasy Labs, and I'm holding my daughter, scrolling, you know, dual tasking here, dad life, split up all over the shoulder. So I'm here for you guys, you know, putting in the work, <laughs> trying to make sure you guys have some success this year. And truthfully, you know, I love these strategy shows because I think not only for listeners, but like for me, it's always helpful to take a step back and reset kind of the foundation of how you win in DFS. And our show's last two weeks. This one, the one after, is going to be kind of the foundation for the year. So I'm really excited, man. Let's get to it. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about roster construction with roster percentages in mind. And basically, how do you pivot against the field knowing what they are going to do? So let's get into it. You down with GPP? DFS would be so simple if it came down to just playing the players you liked who are projected well, and I'm just in my own little world, and I'm facing just me. The problem is there's other people involved, and I kind of hate that sometimes because when I look at winning lineups, sometimes I'm like, how did they do that? 
How did they figure out that that was the winning thing? So today we want to talk about what the field is doing and how you can use that information. But this takes DFS to another level because you're not just reading articles. You're not just going in saying, hey, I like this player, I like this matchup. Like you are having to think in terms of game theory. That's something we've talked about a ton. So maybe quickly give any quick thoughts about when roster construction and more importantly, roster percentages. When did that light bulb go off for you and what has that done over the years? Yeah, I think the last probably two to three years really is kind of when I started to take this more seriously. And it's because the fact that, again, I just keep saying this all the time, like be willing to lose. And what that comes down to is the leverage aspect of, you know, roster percentages, whether it's certain plays, whether it's cumulative roster percentage, which we're going to talk about, um, contest selection and that sort of thing. Like there's so many people entering lineups because they're quote unquote good plays and they're afraid to lose where, you know, if you know certain players are going to be 20 plus percent and there's outs to them having a bad game, like don't be afraid to just be different because we know in these large field tournaments, like you have to get unique and we have data to support that. You can't just play all the quote unquote projected best plays. It doesn't work out in this sort of format. Now that doesn't mean in cash you should do this. You know, this is kind of a different format and that's why we got to make sure our lineups match what we're playing. But for this sort of situation, man, I, I just... For me, I was always so scared to lose. And when I stopped being scared to lose, I started winning way more in tournaments. We're trying to piece together a strategy that is resilient. You know, you talk all the time about, hey, you got to be willing to lose. The way you get to do that is you have to think about this beyond just projected points. And what we often talk about is like the multiplier. Like, here's this player. Here's what they need to do to pay off their salary. You know, they need to 3x. They need to 4x their salary. Like, you know, that we talk about that all the time. If he's a $5,000 player, we need 20 plus points from this player in a GPP. But the other variable at play is how popular are they in their roster percentages. So popularity can be a really good thing if you're on the right plays, but it can also be an avalanche if you are just following the crowd and not really thinking for yourself. So the, really the question we have to ask ourselves is how can you be better than the field in terms of your roster construction? And so... One of the first things we're going to do here in just a second is when you're playing in a GPP, you know, today's mostly about tournament plays because, I don't know, just quickly, do you care about roster percentages that much for cash? Literally not at all. There's a certain point where if a running back hits 50, 45, 50%, I personally will think about that. But that, like I said, that's more of my contrarian personality. But for the most part, it just doesn't matter. Right, exactly. You just play the best plays, let our opponents make the mistakes. That's kind of my approach in cash. Now, obviously, this is a different conversation, so we got to think about that way differently. Yeah, we're we're thinking about when I'm constructing my roster. If I have a running back, let's I'm going to use this guy a couple of different times. Well, let's talk about Nick Chubb. Like Nick Chubb is one of those players that usually doesn't gain a ton of roster percentage because he doesn't catch the ball. Like it's easy to look at him and him have a fine median outcome, but. The field mostly will say, oh, he's fine. Like Nick Chubb's one of those players that will come in at like 6 7%, 8%. Maybe in a really good matchup, it's like 10 to 15. Nick Chubb will never be chalk unless like there's a catastrophic injury or something else. Like he's one of those players that when you think about the field and what they think about him, you have information. And on those weeks in our roster percentage report where he is 3 or 4%, he is one of my favorite players to attack. And we'll talk about it in a second because he has an intriguing kind of game theory uh, matchup in week one. Uh, but let's talk about that roster percentage report and that labor of love. We talked about this. I had a whole meeting with with Jason and Mike and Andy. We talked about what this is. But let's explain to people like why this is so important. And last year, that was one of the most viewed tools we had in the DFS pass. And it helped people not go in blindly. So explain what it is real quick. Yes, so this is a tool in the DFS Pass. We had it last year for the first time, and it was wildly successful. I'm really excited to have it back again this year. And basically what it is, it's a projection of what we think the field is going to do. So how heavily rostered each player is going to be, whether it's you know 20%, 18%, 4%, 3%. It helps you get an idea of kind of the quote-unquote chalky plays or what our opponents are going to do. And then from there, you can kind of ask yourself, you know, how confident are you in that play? Is that right? Are people overconfident? Are they not confident enough in a certain player? And so you can find ways that you know, using projections, like if there's a, a running back, for example, projected, let's say for 18% for 20 points that week, and there's someone else projected for 19 points that week, but at 4%, 
like you can give up a couple points of projection knowing that you're going to get very different uh, from the field. So it lets you get different. You understand kind of how to do that. And then from there, you know, it also kind of helps you understand that there are certain thresholds that we're looking for in tournaments, whether it's cumulative roster percentage, number of players that meet a certain spot. So we're going to talk about these trends, like in the million maker and small field, like how often our opponents are using, you know, players under 10% versus under 20% and, and that sort of thing. And it really helps you just guide how to build a roster instead of just logging into DraftKings or FanDuel and saying like, I like this guy. Let's, let's see what happens. Doing that is, is not a smart move. When we go in, we do this for the main slate. It always pains me because we have to update it when there's information. If a player's out, uh, it pains me because there are so many plays that I can convince myself in my DFS galaxy brain mind. And I usually gravitate towards, I think the field is too overconfident in this player. Like that's actually my bigger takeaway. The fear often in, in GPPs is I have to have this player because this is what the field's doing. You can approach it the other way of saying, what if they are way too overconfident? You pick another narrative or you pick another uh, game flow. We, we talk about that a lot. So uh, before we get into our checklist and you and I have some examples, let's take a quick break. When you're creating a lineup for a massive tournament, let's just keep using the Millie Maker because that's one of the ones you and I reference the most. It has the most number of entrants. There's a couple of templates to keep in mind when you're constructing your roster. You can create a checklist if you want. Last year, I remember we put this out for our listeners like, hey, make sure that this is something that you're thinking about and we'll give some data behind it. This checklist isn't perfect, but most of the winning lineups, and I would say most experienced players in DFS, start with this in mind. I think it's easier sometimes to build a lineup around a couple players you really like. Like I really like Christian McCaffrey and I'll correlate him with somebody else on the Browns for week one. But think about this. So I'm going to give you some stats and then we'll kind of break these down bets. We looked at every Millie Maker lineup over the last two years. 89% of them had a team stack. 83% of them were game stacking. Meaning like th this game was super important. A cubic pass catcher stack was 89%. And some of these other ones that I think get brought up a lot are a lot lower. So like, you know, a running back in a defense sounds like it makes a lot of sense. You can do it. It's really only like 20, 25% of the time. Is it even valid? Um, don't have any players against your defense. Have at least one player that's super low rostered. Um, only have one running back in the same game. Like these are very simple things that you can make sure you have set up, you have rules in your lineup before you even click a player. So want to talk? do you want to talk about this list and how massively important it is? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's crucial. And if you're not really following a list similar to this and at least prioritizing, you know, those first few, like in GPPs, it's probably a losing strategy long-term. You might get lucky every now and then, but like we think this data means a lot. So, you know, we do that on the show every week. On Tuesdays, we, we go twice a week, which, dude, that's coming up soon, week one. Uh, we go twice a week in season on our Tuesday show. We basically preview the slate in terms of like which games we like. So we're kind of already thinking game stacks. And inherently from there, we're already thinking team stacks. And then from there, we're already thinking quarterback, wide receiver, or tight end stacks. So like we're already kind of doing this naturally with our conversations. But yeah, some of the more nuanced stuff for sure. You know, we like the kind of max one running back per game. And you just think about it. Like, for example, if the Colts and the Titans were playing, like it's very unlikely to running backs like Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry that are not super involved in the passing game are both going to have huge outlier performances. Now, of course, it could happen because both can rip off an 80-yard run and that speeds up the game, but likely it's not going to happen that way. So max one running back, I like that. And for sure, you got to have low roster players in GPPs. I mean, we just talked about how important that is and we have data in a second that we're going to talk about. But yeah, man, I love this stuff. I love the the you know, easy to read, kind of consume. Like if you just listen to us or go in the DFS pass, we'll put out an article for it maybe. But like just having that checklist next to you when you're setting your lineup is is so important. We'll post this. You know, we post an article. We'll definitely post this in the Discord where people can talk it out. I have a hard time personally when someone says, do you like this lineup for week one? Because that's just like, there's so many like variables. There's so many different ways that you can go. There's so many different variations. And instead, what I like to give people is, you know, here's our core plays. I want to teach you how to play. And then here's a checklist. Does it at least hit most of these things? Now, it doesn't mean you have to go through every single one of them, but like, are you bringing it back? Do you have at least one player that's like under, you know, 5%, some, somewhere around that range? Are, what type of leverage are you using on the chalk plays? 
Those are the things that I really care about. And that's the information I give people. It's the whole teach them how to fish thing. But when we create player pools, you know, you mentioned on Tuesday, we start to talk about who our plays are on Tuesday. That's, I think, the part that people need to start with is expand your player pool and find the games that you really, really like. Don't really worry about salaries and projections first. Like first, just get a feel out. I like this player. I like this game. Maybe it's something as simple as I like the, you know, running back on this side and the wide receiver on the other. So in that Eagles Lions game, is there a combination that you're already feeling with the Monroe St. Brown? I mean, we're obviously going to play him, right? Um, yeah, like an interesting one, for example, could be, you know, Jalen Hurts, let's say Demonta Smith. You bring it back with someone like Amon Ra, for example. I haven't even looked at the salaries for some of those players yet. Um, I have DeAndre Swift right in front of me, but like I know just from my feel like, hey, I like Kenneth Gainwell. I think things are moving the right direction. And let's say that the Eagles have to come back. I think Kenneth Gainwell is like an interesting play. And then you know I, I, DJ Chark's their wide receiver one for the Lions, right? So Obviously. So... <laughs> So I, those are the kind of combinations you say, I like that game. I think some people will be on this game. And here's a way that I could just look at it. You can also go through and start to label players as, I think this will be cash or GPP. So I, I'm going to pull four running backs who are all together in DraftKings. And I want to see if we have the same opinion because we haven't talked about this yet. Okay. I just want to see if you can right. see this more as a cash or GPP. So I'll give you the names and salaries and matchups, and then you and I can go through it. So it's DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, Najee Harris. They are literally all within, you know, of each other. So DeAndre Swift, 6,800 versus your Eagles. Any initial reads on him? Dude, he's the hotness right now and hard knocks. That's a cheap price. You could talk yourself into it for a pass catcher on full PPR site like DraftKings. I think he's going to be a cash play. I think he's going to be super popular too. Uh, the news with Jamal Williams may have like, you know, not like that, but I feel like I feel like this is going to be a game that people like. So, yeah, he was a cash play. I wrote down Aaron Jones, next one down on the list, 6,700 at Minnesota. Oh, you mean my my guy? Is that, is that who you're talking about right now? <laughs> oh, I freaking love Aaron Jones. Um, he might be a cash play for me. Personally. <laughs> I'm not sure what the field's going to do. I think the rhetoric around A.J. Dillon uh, might be a little bit worry for, worrisome for some people. But, you know, that said, I could see him being popular, too, just because he historically has done well against Minnesota. And people know that without Devontae, like, it has to go to the back. So I'm not sure on that one. I don't have a strong read, but I would say I lean more GPP than cash. Yeah, I think that Jones and Dylan are going to cannibalize each other on roster percentage in week one. And the fact that he's right below DeAndre Swift. It's a, it's a silly psychological thing, but a popular cash player like Swift you usually don't find someone who's right next to him that's also popular. It's just people kind of scroll down or they scroll up. So I like Aaron Jones a lot. I, I'm with you. We've been all about him. And I love this matchup. It's I have said before on this podcast, my favorite game in week one is Green Bay at Minnesota. I will be overweight on that one. All right, two more. Drop down a little further. Nick Chubb at 6,500 at Carolina. Ain't no way people are playing him in cash. Not a chance. Yeah. And, and I did the same thing and I realized... Well, of course nobody's going to be playing. They're going to be playing CMC, who's cheaper than he than he should be. So people are going to be playing those two in the same lineup, which makes Nick Chubb, I would say, pretty good GPP play for week one. If you think the Browns are going to you know, get control of that game, the narrative is going to be, oh, they have Jacoby Brissett. They're not going to be able to move the ball. Uh, Carolina actually was somebody that you could run on last year. So I, I'm not saying you need to play Nick Chubb here. Thinking about him in terms of player pool and where he could fit, you can just write GPP next to his name and say, hey, I might throw him in a couple of lineups, see what happens, like I said earlier. All right, last one, Najee Harris at 6,400. So he's cheaper than some of these other guys, and it's at Cincinnati. That's just a good price for a back you can project for 20 touches most weeks. So I think he's going to be pretty popular. Yeah, he's, he would be somebody that I would say, I want him in my cash pool. Um, I'm not saying he's going to end up on the list, but so from the, from this group, I could see Swift in my cash pool. I probably will stay away because I think he'll be too popular. Uh, Aaron Jones, I like in general, I'll probably be playing him a ton in GPPs. And Najee is somebody that I will put in my cash pool and see if he ends up there. But those are the kind of things. Just walk through the salaries, give your initial take. I'm not saying that's totally right, but you and I start on Tuesday with this. And then by Thursday, we have a cash pool that we get to give you. And you get to work through that. And on Discord, 
that's my favorite. Like I see people say, Hey, I like these six running backs. Can you help me pick two or three? And, and it's okay to like six. You don't just have like, have to like just two by the end of the week. You can kind of narrow it down. But, um, my rule of thumb is pick four or five quarterbacks. You like pick four or five running backs. You like six to 10 wide receivers, two to three tight ends, and maybe like three defenses and just call it a day. Like that's where you can start your process of creating a pool for cash and even creating a pool for GPPs. But let's take this a bit further because roster percentages is really what we're here for. There's a couple of simple rules of thumb that we talk about when it comes to chalk or this person's low rostered. Um, so I, I kind of set the line at 7% as low rostered and below in a main slate. And then a dart throw is somebody that has to be under 2%. But we're not looking at DFS in terms of safety. Every single player in DFS has major downside, especially at a high roster percentage. That's what I need to make sure I preach here. This is about preaching, right? Oh, yeah, buddy. Let them have it. I, for real, though, today on the My Guys episode, I realized the guys did like nine mini sermons. That's what it felt like <laughs> with My Guys. It's like, let me tell you why Jalen Hurts is this. Um, so it was interesting. <laughs> but let's talk about this real quick in terms of players and how much they were rostered in these tournaments. So you have some data uh, from last year. Yeah, so I went back and looked to kind of see like, you know, how many of each kind of category should we be playing? Like how many people should we be playing that are under, I used 10% as the, the cutoff versus, you know, under 2% versus over 20% because people often get, I don't know, confused if it's the right word, but kind of like we were talking about in the player pool concept, like a lot of people either think this player is only cash or only GPP and sometimes I, that's true for certain players like you know for example like in week one like i'm probably playing cmc in cash i don't know if i'm gonna play him in gpps or not but he is a player that could do well in both formats but you just have to make sure that you build appropriately around that player so kind of how do you use roster percentages to do that and how do you kind of optimally build is the kind of what i looked at so went back and looked at a couple of different tournaments on DraftKings. i used the luxury box on dk and the fourth down conversion for my small field data so those two contests 370 entries and 250 so they're smaller you know contests compared to the million maker which obviously has like 20 plus thousand in them in those small fields the average winning lineup had 2.93 players that were less than 10 percent rostered so even though it's a small field like we still have to get a little different i think there's this this idea in dfs that oh just enter your cash lineup in a small field tournament don't worry about getting different the data shows otherwise at the same time we can't get super super unique we still have to have some quote-unquote chalky plays or good plays because all of the winning lineups um except for one had at least two players that were 20 plus percent rostered so the take home for small field i think is you know get off the board a little bit but don't be afraid to play some of the best plays in the slate you don't have to get so unique like you do in the million maker which brings you to the next point here so using those same cutoffs 10 percent, 20 percent, the average winning lineup you know, they had five names in there that were less than 10% rostered. So if you're just logging in, looking at the best plays on the slate and clicking them, like it is clearly a disservice to your chances of winning based off the data. Along the same lines, they're not using as many of those quote unquote popular plays. Remember, everyone in the small field, at least two players were above 20%, oftentimes more than that. In the Million Maker, it was 1.3. There were some lineups that won that didn't have any. There were some that had like three was the max that I found. So if again, if you're using just chalky players over and over again, it's, it's not what you want to do. And every single lineup in the Million Maker that won, uh, except for two, had a player that was less than 3% rostered. So that's that dart throw that you need. You need that guy that's going to you know vault you up the leaderboard, so to speak, that no one else has. And I think kind of using some of those little you know, metrics there are sort of like, I need about this many of this and about many, this many of this kind of helps you build a framework for what you're playing. And again, I think the biggest take home is like, let's just make sure with our roster percentages, we're matching the contests that our lineup is being built for, whether it's small field versus large field. It's, it's so important to just at the end, you create your roster, whatever it is. And then you go back, like, don't just click submit, move on, go back and say, am I doing a couple of things right here? Like, cause you're trying to just set yourself up through the data that we have and the structure that we have. And really you're rolling the dice because you're trying to get a top 1% outcome really like in these large tournaments, it's 0.1%. So I just want to turn a couple levers that I know this works. Like I know that bringing it back works. I know double stacking works and I know that everyone else isn't doing this to the level. I know that I need to find two to three players 
that are not roster very high. So use that to your advantage. But the way you gain leverage is finding players usually at the same position or the same team against your opponents who are using really popular plays. Like that's leverage. You're using what they have. Let's say Christian McCaffrey is going to be 25% in the Millie Maker. I don't think that's crazy. I haven't done the numbers yet, but I don't know. What do you think? I mean, probably. Like people love CMC, and if they're scared if he's going to get hurt, they're going to play him week one just in case he does get hurt. So For they sure. can play him at least once this year. So yeah, he's going to be super popular in week one. The people that are like trying to dunk on people drafting CMC, like, oh, he's going to get hurt again. I would never touch him. Those are the people that are definitely playing in week one. Like, okay, I'm going to... Oh, 100%. I still, I still <laughs> want to play him. Using leverage, though, is one of those things where you take somebody like CMC, who's, you know, I think 8,500. He's somebody that you're probably not going to get at that price again, and he's only going to be more popular, is you use the running back in the same game. So I mentioned Nick Chubb. Like, there's a path for Nick Chubb to get... 120 and two and yeah Christian McCaffrey could totally you know catch eight or nine balls like there there were some games last year the Browns got destroyed by Najee Harris Austin Eckler like pass catching running backs but on the other end like there's games where the Panthers were just mauled like Damian Harris Ramondre Stevenson just destroyed against them um James Conner was awesome against them like they they had some games where they were just mauled and Nick Chubb can be one of those players against you know the Browns have a good offensive line. Like this could work. And I say all that to say, I'm giving you player takes there, but really this is about a principle of finding a player who's probably going to be four to 5% rostered that nobody will play those two in the same game. Now, Christian McCaffrey kind of breaks the mold of playing two running backs in the same game. So maybe you want to get really weird there and play those two, but we're all about using leverage and what we know the field is going to do. Uh, we'll talk about that also with wide receivers because a, popular wide receiver is a great place to go the opposite direction right oh yeah man they're the most volatile position in fantasy which we like for dfs because when it hits it hits but you know we shouldn't be surprised if our wide receiver comes out and has a three for 40 game because that happens time to time you know classic example tyler lockett mike evans those sort of things uh mike williams like those games are in the range of outcomes and if people are just assuming it is 100 percent going to be a 102 game we know it's not always the case. So when it fails and you go the opposite way, it's a great way to gain leverage on the field. When we're adding up those roster percentages, we have to keep in mind there's a number at the very end we want to hit. Now, I've looked at Millie Maker rosters last couple of years. Like, there are some weeks where somebody, the chalk hits, and you know their roster percentage adds up between all their players of like 180, 200%. That's not normal. The average the last two years has been about 135 to 140 like that's where I've looked at and it's easier for me to give somebody a rule of saying, here's a range, but I try to say like hit around like a hundred. I don't know where, where are you at from your data? Yeah. I just looked at last year most recently and, and obviously we want to expand our sample size more than that. And we had kind of used on the show. I remember last year saying like about a hundred to 120 seems about right. If you're going for these large field tournaments. And obviously if you are playing in smaller field, you can probably increase that a little bit maybe to like 130, 135, 140. I wouldn't go much higher than that personally. But um, in these millimaker trends that I looked at from last year, the average was literally 100% right on the dot, 99.993. So again, that kind of speaks to like, you can't just play the best plays. You got to get different. And none of the winning lineups from last year were higher than 121%. So I think, you know, I could take them, like Kyle said, it does happen where the chalk hits for everyone. And you just kind of, you take your lumps and you move on. But if you're playing smart, you are using that data kind of to your, um, your advantage. Doesn't mean you're always like right at 120 or right at hundred. You can kind of get up or down a little bit, but you just want to make sure that you're in that zone. I think, I think the best time to try to flex this is week one. Like what a better time to do it, to get different than the crowd. When people have had weeks and months to figure out who the best players are. I kind of sad that Romeo Dobbs, uh, month is kind of coming to an end. Like Aaron Rodgers put that, the question is, is it still going to be Isaiah Pacheco season? I mean, isn't it always? Dude, so I don't know if the, the Dobbs thing is going to calm down at all. I was in a DK best ball draft the other day, and he went like, I don't know, it was like 109th overall or something like that. So Why? Why? People love him. I mean, we like him, but we liked him when he was like a 17-round pick. Yeah. I, guys, we're playing a game against a very mat, like vast group of people. And so a Romeo Dobbs pick 
in the what is that like the eighth ninth round like that is not going to ninth, help your yeah, team that is not going to help your yeah. team in a massive tournament um let's put some of the t- the stuff we just talked about to the test we've talked about roster percentages how they're important ga- gaining leverage i did this last year and i think it was helpful for people to kind of put themselves in the middle of this and i'm going to do the same thing with you bets not quite you want to play a game but it is a sample of how to take the data that you and i give to listeners and people that subscribe to the dfs pass we give this information each week and you kind of get to figure out how to pivot okay so i took a random week week three of the millie maker all right i just started scrolling down on fantasy labs and this is where i got and i took the running backs okay so the, i'm going to run through these running backs and what their roster percentages ended up being i would say that we're pretty close you know we're going to be within five percent of most of the players um quarterbacks is really easy to kind of identify but uh, week one is its own animal. So I'm trying to use week three where things kind of stabilize a little bit. Here are the running backs that were the most popular. All right. And I've highlighted a couple of things, but Austin Eckler at 7,200. Saquon Barkley at 6,500. CEH was only 4,800. Alexander Madison was 6,000. Derrick Henry, 8,600 because he was awesome. And then the last two most popular were Tyson Williams at 5,800 and Mike Davis of the Falcons. Remember him? Uh, at 5,100. So from this list, these are the uh, seven most popular running backs. Just from that information, what can you deduce? Well, before we get to that, there was a report that if J.K. Dobbins is not ready for week one, that Mike Davis will quote-unquote carry the load. So I don't know what his price is. <laughs> it's got to be, be looking it's at be a very similar situation this year if Mike Davis is carrying the ball for the Ravens against the Jets. So that'll be fun to fade that if that's a narrative that people are into. Uh, but as far as this data, you know, the, the most popular thing that sticks out is like there's two running backs in the same game that were very chalky. So if you just said, I'm not playing that game, uh, easily you could just get off some of the most popular plays on the slate. Yeah, I I've, I looked at that game. And I also looked at, there's some cheapies here. Like, CEH at 16% rostered would have been a play that we said, in cash, play CEH. And I think I remember playing him in cash that week. I can look back. But we would have said, you can withstand, you know, if he busts at only 4,800. Barkley was one of those players that it was a low total game, but we loved the volume and we probably loved it against the Falcons. Do you remember who won that game, Falcons and Giants? I mean, it had to be the Falcons. It was the Falcons. Of course it was. <laughs> and I forget who the backup was last year, but whoever it was got ruled out Devontae the Booker? morning of. Yeah, yeah. The morning of Devontae Booker. That's right. And that's why he immediately shot up in roster percentage. Yeah. Alexander Madison is one of those plays that he's done well whenever Dalvin was out. So it makes sense that he would be a popular play. And then Tyson and, and Mike Davis would be plays that would carry over from cash. But I don't think either of us would have thought those two players would have been gpp ceiling type plays right i just don't think that name mike davis and gpp ceiling should ever go in the same sentence personally so no <laughs> it's it's crazy when you look at this because the people that won the millie maker what they did is they said you know what i think there's some good plays in the running back but they didn't go overboard and say i have to play all of these running backs so in the millie maker winner that year or that week alexander madison was played at 6k and he went off for 26 points. He was awesome. DeAndre Swift did not show up on this list. He was only at 6%. I also found that Najee Harris, not on this list either, was like at 4%. He was one of the best running backs that week. The takeaway for me is that when you see these running backs, you need to deduce why they're popular. So we mentioned CH cheap. Mike Davis, Tyson Williams, cheap. But can they give you ceiling outcomes? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Uh, can't argue with Derrick Henry ever, uh, but he only went for 113 or no touchdowns that week. So if you're going to fade Henry, uh, that that's the kind of outcome you hope for. But you're trying to make sure that with the cheap running backs, if there's a lot of cheap running backs, I like to go the opposite way in GPPs because I want my builds to be different and I want to attack other games. So I think a lot of builds that week were basically there's cheap running backs. I'm going to get two of them and maybe one other expensive one. And they made the cardinal mistake of then having a running back in their flex in a GPP. So the person, I know. How dare they? (laughs) I mean, the person who won the Millie Maker had Justin Jefferson in their flex. I mean, that is the coolest flex you could ever have. 
What a game, huh? 29 DraftKings points. This was also Josh Allen week. I don't know if you remember, but Josh Allen was my cash play that week, and he had gotten off to a pretty slow start to begin the year, and then he just went bananas against uh, against Washington. That's who it was. It went yeah. off for 40. So yeah, With Manny Sanders. Remember when he was in the league? I know. Manny Sanders was one of our big calls that week too, but I'm looking at the Millmaker winner. They got different at running back. They have a wide receiver in their flex, and then they just did some simple stuff of correlating. They have Josh Allen double-stacked, with Cole Beasley, Manny Sanders, and they brought it back with Logan Thomas on the other side. I mean, just simple, right? When you break it down like this in hindsight, it does seem very simple. But yes, double stack, bring back, manage your roster percentage, play wide receiver in the flex, like the rules that we love to follow. It's good when you see it work out. And obviously it's a lot more complicated than that. But I also want to point out too, like this person, not only did they correlate their quarterback stack with another player, they also stacked mini a mini stack. They did, you know, Minnesota and Seattle. They had Madison and Justin Jefferson, and then also on the other side, DK Metcalf. So just tons of correlation. And I think that's one other thing just to remind yourself: correlation, you know, matters because again, we're trying to get as few things right as possible to have a ceiling outcome. And if you just hit the right games, which obviously sounds easy to do, but if you hit the right game environments, like you can really get there. So this lineup, I think, is a great example of that. Yeah, I, I've actually keep coming back to this lineup every single time because every time I look at it, I go, man, this is a smart lineup. Like, they chose Swift over Tyson Williams in the same game. That was that Justin Tucker 60-whatever-yard uh, field goal uh, game. I think Dan Campbell cried that day he, but on the podium afterwards. Dan Campbell, he doesn't care our about... Our hero, our king. If you have, what, three fingers, one butt cheek, like, don't care. <laughs> don't care. Dude, don't, dude, don't care. What a quote. <laughs> Like, how demeaning, Dan. Like, if I only had that, I'd hope you'd care that I only had one butt cheek. Like, I'd hope you'd show some <laughs> compassion for my butt cheeks. Um, let's do another example for the people. This one's about tight ends. I took a random random week, week 10 of the Millie Maker. Based on this list in front of you, I'm going to read off the names. I want you to tell me what's not there, okay? So, on the main slate that week, the most popular tight ends were Dan Arnold, Kyle Pitts, The Muth, Dawson Knox, Tyler Conklin, and Noah Fant. So what can you tell me about that list and who's not on there? I mean, outside of Kyle Pitts, there are no good tight ends on this list that we care about for fantasy. When you think about redraft leagues, right? Like, where is Travis Kelsey? Where is Mark Andrews? Darren Waller? Kittle? Uh, Not on the slate. Yeah, so that was an interesting week. Now, based on that information, how do you think people built their rosters at tight end? How How did they think about it? I mean, I think, and I probably think this is kind of, I don't, I'll take a step back for a second. My process probably would have led me to the same exact thing is that we know these tight ends generally don't have a ceiling. So I'm not going to pay up for one if it's not Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, et cetera. So let's just save money and go down to the basement. And that's exactly what everyone did. Yeah. And it actually worked out really well this week. I, I like that you actually went there because in my mind, I could have brought up this example to say like, oh, let me dunk on everyone else. But the point was, that the field looked at this and said, I am not going to spend up at this position. I recognize there are no elite difference makers. Uh, the tight end one on that slate was Hunter Henry. And so Hunter Henry, I think, had like 16 points. So it was one of those things where like, it's okay if you didn't have Hunter Henry in your lineup. Like you can win without that. You could have won with Dan Arnold, who was a solid play. We would have said it was good for cash. And if there's no difference making score at the tight end position that week, then it's totally fine. Um, tight ends because they're so touchdown dependent the only thing i would add is on a week like this where there's not a lot of great options you probably want to stack them with your quarterback you probably want to make sure you do that and find out that this week was chaos i went back and looked at this but this week was chaos because the games that were 50 plus projected they failed and then the teams that we really liked didn't really have a back and forth so like buffalo won 45 17 over the jets the Patriots won 45-7 over the Browns. The Cowboys and Falcons was a 50-plus point total game. 43-3. The Falcons decided they didn't want to show up that week uh, at all. It was, it was rough. I want to make sure that when people see roster percentages, they think holistically about the slate too. Like On that slate, you could look at the tight ends and what we projected and then go, okay, how does this affect the rest of my games? How does this affect how I'm actually stacking? Because that week, you could have just punted and been fine. Yeah, that's a good point. I think 
thinking about it holistically is a great way to put it. I also think too, like some slates are different than others. I, I shouldn't say that. I think that that is the case. There are certain slates that the quote unquote cash plays are just so much stronger. And so there might be a week where I'm like, okay, I know the data says I should probably play two of these guys that are, you know, 20% ish or more, but maybe I'm going to play three because I just feel so confident in them. Remember there was one, uh, one week last year. It was the week where Chris Godwin had like 15 catches. You remember that Kyle? And he was super popular, but it was just a dream match. But I think it was the Falcons, no surprise, who were just bleeding points, slot wide receivers. And I think Antonio Brown was out that week, if I recall correctly, maybe not. But it all just pointed to him having a, an awesome, awesome game. He was like 25%. And if you didn't play him, you got buried. And that was a play that I think like on that slate in that context, he was probably good chalk. But like week one last year with, with Marquez Callaway being the same roster percentage, a different slate. A terrible play, right? Obviously, like not right. as much talent, worst quarterback, worst game environment, you know, all those things. So I think just don't take these rules as as hard and fast, you know, lock it in every week, but think about it in context. And like you said, that holistic view can really help, you know, our listeners be successful this year. And at the end of the day, you and I are looking back and, you know, we're just looking at this. It's, from easy. The, it's really easy for <laughs> us to say, oh, they did this right. They did this wrong. We're just trying to give the principles in place so that you can look back. And so, you know, when you and I have one of those big wins this week, our, our listener, I want to hear us be able to say, here's why I did this. Not just like I put together a lineup and I got really lucky. That probably will happen to some of us, but there's actually reasons behind it. So just to review, you need to be able to look at the slate and analyze how you and the field will act. That's what we care about roster percentages. You can add those up. You can use a roster percentage report where we give those numbers. You can even, I had people last year that on Fridays, they would download the CSV and they would use that and they put it in their own spreadsheets. I love it. Spreadsheet life. I love it. But then you have to develop a strategy from the slate and based on what the roster percentages tell you. Like these are going to be the popular running backs. Here's the leverage points. Here's the different pass. Here's the different game stacks that I see. Construct your rosters. And then at the very end, add it up and say, hey, is this around 100%, 120%? Um, it's okay if you have a little bit of chalk in there. But I would say at the beginning of the year, feel free to get weird and get different. So, Betts, any last parting thoughts for the people as we close this thing out? I don't think so, man. Like I said, hopefully we can put together more of this content for you guys on the site so it's easy to digest in addition to the show. But, yeah, some of this stuff, like I said, is the foundation for the, the year. We're going to have success this year. I know it. We're betting player props, DFS lineups. I mean, life is good, Kyle. Week one's right on the corner. So, have a great week. We'll catch you guys next week. listening to another edition of the fantasy footballers dfs podcast don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com